0: Welcome to episode 14 of the Triathlete Hour. I'm Kelly O'Meara, your host and editor-in-chief of Triathlete Magazine. This week, we're chatting with Sika Henry, who is trying to become the first female African-American pro triathlete. Sika talks to us about how she ended up with that goal and how she went from being a high jumper in college to a top triathlete. I think a lot of us will relate with her struggles to balance work and perform at a high level. Plus, she had to come back from a horrific accident last year. First though, senior editor Chris Foster gives us the scoop on the first big triathlon happening in the post-COVID-19 world. Lubbock 70.3 is going off this weekend with a thousand athletes registered. What does that mean? What will it look like and how is it even happening? And then he also gives us some tips on how to set up your own self-supported triathlon adventure if you're not one of the people who has any races on the horizon. All that after a short break. If you've been paying attention to what the pros are doing, then you've probably heard about WHOOP. WHOOP is a fitness wearable that provides personalized insights on how recovered you are and how much stress you put your body through during the day. Each day when you get up, WHOOP gives you a recovery score based on your sleep, resting heart rate, and heart rate variability. The way it works is you wear the WHOOP band around your wrist all day. And don't worry, it's 100% waterproof. It even tracks your heart rate while you're swimming. You can then analyze your activity and recovery levels in the app. And you can use features like Strain Coach, which gives you target workout exertion goals tailored to your body's recovery for that day. You can even set to tell you when you've hit your target strain effort for the day, like, okay, that was good, now you can stop. There's also a built-in Sleep Coach, which lets you know how much sleep you should be getting based on your expected activity level for the next day. And it tracks all your different sleep cycles. Whoop is offering 15% off right now with the code TRIATHLETE at checkout. Go to whoop, W H O O P dot com and enter TRIATHLETE at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, and train smarter. Optimize your performance with Whoop today. OK, this week, our senior editor, Chris Foster, is joining me because I wanted you to talk about some of the research you've been doing, Chris. You've been reporting a story about the first big race post-COVID is supposed to happen this weekend in Lubbock, Texas, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. So um, Lubbock 70.3 is going to be going on this weekend. Um, just to give it a little background, like I know a lot of people are thinking, wow, uh, an Iron Man or a 70.3, you know, with the hundreds of thousands of people or whatever. No. OK, so Lubbock, Texas is in... Like Northwest Texas. It's a small town ish, medium sized, 300,000 people, home of Texas Tech. Um, so, this is not a race in the middle of New York City. Like, obviously, that's a horrible idea. Um, so, things are a little more spread out, right? Right. It's like it's like kind Texas. of a little,
0: like lots of emptiness around it. So, it's not like we're going into a dense place.
1: Right, correct. I mean, like, the nearest major city, the next biggest city is 200, 250, 300 miles away. Okay. So, people from Dallas aren't just going to like, you know, take a 30 minute drive over to Lubbock, probably.
0: But still, this is the first big triathlon happening. It's only, I think, maybe the second major race that's been happening after, you know, all the pandemic, everything getting canceled. So it's still big news. What are they doing that's different? Like, what kind of precautions are they taking? How is this moving forward?
1: So I spoke to the, um, the race director the other day. Um, and he, well, she, sorry, she said, um, that they're going to be following Ironman's safe return to sport guidelines, okay. um, which exceed all of the local guidelines for the area. Um, just some of the like takeaways from that are, um, packet pickup with a, uh, a time slot that you have to sign up for a virtual athlete briefing, a rolling start with six feet, six feet of separation. Um, Grab and go aid stations, no body marking, um, special kind of considerations for the finish line area. So they're definitely working on it. They're not ignoring the problem. Um, You know, their heads aren't in the sand. Um, When you say
0: so six feet, like rolling start, six feet separation between every athlete or between waves or I mean, that just sounds because they're going to get right now they have a thousand people, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. They have a thousand right now. I don't know if they're going to get a whole lot more than that. Um, the way they described it was they're going to have three shoots with minds of people in each of those shoots and in each in the line, you'll have to be six feet away from the person in front of you and they'll call off. Okay. Next, next wave, next wave, next wave. So obviously there's going to be mixing in there. Um, I don't think they're trying to say you have to remain six feet at all times or else you'll be disqualified or anything <laughs> like that. Um, but you know it. it it's the first race too, you know, post COVID. So I'm sure a little bit of it's going to be kind of an experiment, you know, just seeing what works, what doesn't. And, you
0: know, hopefully yeah, it works well. I mean, for sure, we're going to see what works and what doesn't. Um, you're gonna be following up on this. And we'll have a story. So for people who want more information, they can go to our site, you're doing a whole story on it, we'll be following up after to kind of see how it goes too, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff about this race. Um, I think people probably in other parts of the country think this is, you know, unfathomable, but, um, everything that I've garnered from the locals in Lubbock, I mean, the mayor of Lubbock personally reached out to the race director and made it clear that, you know, the city is super behind them, super excited. So this isn't just some rogue race director, you know, just randomly running a triathlon. Um, but the area is really excited about it. So
0: yeah. I mean, I think as races come back, it's going to vary a lot area by area because you're in L.A. Um, I'm in Boulder now. Like, we're not going to be having races soon because our areas have a lot more restrictions. Whereas Lubbock, Texas, they're kind of reopening very quickly, you know, rolling back all those restrictions.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And And they've had pretty low cases. I think Lubbock County is somewhere outside of the you know, the top 25 counties in all of Texas when it comes to deaths per 100,000 or even um, cases per 100,000. So as Texas goes, Lubbock is pretty low. um, Though we have seen a little bit of a a recent uptick for them in the last week, but we're going to kind of follow that.
0: Right, right, right. For sure. And we'll see, you know, obviously, what effect a large event has, too. I think a lot of people will be following that to see, you know, if there are a spike in cases coming out of that or, or, you know, the big Spartan race in Florida last weekend. You know, we're watching these big events. Very closely.
1: Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, clearly.
0: (laughs) Uh, But for all the people who don't have races that, you know, who aren't in Florida or Texas, or Arizona are kind of the only places having races. They're faced with a few months here of no races on the horizon. So we've been kind of pushing this idea of putting on your own race, self-supported triathlon, we're calling it. And you wrote a big article about that the other day. Tell us what is self-supported triathlon? What does that mean? How do you do it?
1: So there's various levels of the (laughs) self-supported triathlon. Before I get into this too much, I mean – In my mind, and I'm sure a lot of long course athletes are thinking like, how can I make this the most extreme possible? (laughs) But the reality is you could make, you know, you could have an hour long self-supported try. Um, The challenge being, you know, you have to bring all of your own nutrition. You bring your own hydration. Um, You take everything you need with you. You know, you set up a transition area that's like a car. You know, you, you swim across like say that lake you've always wanted to swim across. You swim across the lake. Throw your stuff in the car, pick up your bike, ride around the lake, right. um, you know, a couple loops, whatever, come back and then head out for your run. Um, so, yeah, I mean, not only obviously is it going to be physically challenging, but if you start to make it longer and longer, um, the logistics of it become kind of a puzzle that you might want to solve. You know, you could do um, a series of swims and runs and then ride for a while and then you could even bike pack. Or something like that. You know, you could have it like be a gravel ride or a mountain bike ride. You could take breaks during your race. I mean, you make it more of like, more of like an adventure than a race. Um, I think it's kind of a cool thing to do right now, you know.
0: And you put together kind of like a, I don't want to say a guide, but how to get started, right, on our, which we'll link to in our show notes, it's on our site. But what are some of the common questions, some of the tips, you know, how do you get started kind of putting on your own, your own little mini triathlon adventure?
1: So the first tip is plan, um, which is usually something that triathletes are already super good at anyway. So um, just you know find a route that that maybe is something new to you, you know outside of your normal training zone, so it does feel like something different. Um, make sure you have you know if you need a camelback to make this work, or you know a hydration bladder, or tons and tons of hydration storage, or um, you know a bike packing um, roll up bag that you can get enough nutrition in. Um, you know, you can make it pretty cool, but yeah, planning, planning Planning is the big key.
0: Okay. And I think you were tentatively planning one of these kind of adventure things yourself, right?
1: Oh yeah. You mean my run? Uh I did it last weekend.
0: (laughs) So you did like (laughs) a self-supported adventure, right?
1: Yeah. So buddy and I, um, did this, this long run uh, to the Santa Monica mountains, um, where we, we ran, you know, 30 to 40 miles with everything we needed and then camped that night. Um, and then continued the run on, uh, to try to kind of get the whole thing. And it was, it was a big challenge. I mean, not just physically, but yeah, like, you know, how can I carry everything I need and it's still possible while you're running. So, um, but it was super fun. It was very hard.
0: So these are the kinds of things, obviously, you know, that people can try now that we don't have races on the schedule and now that you're not like worried about being, uh, fresh for a race soon, you can do like all kinds of crazy stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, it took a lot of preparation to do this and I'll probably need to recover all week, but, (laughs) um, but yeah, I'm not in the back of my mind. I'm not like, well, I got this race coming up in three weeks, so I need to make sure I'm ticking all my swim bike run boxes. You know, I can put swimming on the back burner or biking on the back burner, you know, for a week, um, while you kind of tackle this challenge. So that's kind of a fun thing to do.
0: Well, yeah, so you guys should go check out like kind of our guide, our tips on how to put this, do one of these yourself. We're gonna be talking some more about this throughout the summer, kind of have some more inspiration, ask you for your photos. If you do your own self-supported try, you know, let us know. Uh, A number of readers have already sent in uh, photos, their own stories, they've been putting on, you know, their own Iron Man, their own 70.3s, their own whatever distance you want. Cool. So you have any other tips then for our our listeners out there who are kind of trying to figure out what the next few months look like?
1: Um, I mean kind of embrace the you know, the the vacuum (laughs) almost. Just kinda you know, enjoy the the forced pause from racing and um, you know, do something you know, we're really good swimmers, bikers and runners compared to most of the people in the world. So, you know, use that ability, you know, that you've worked on for so many years to Yeah, you know, climb a mountain or or ride across a mountain range or swim across a bay you've always wanted to do. So have fun.
0: Have fun. There you go, guys. Have fun this summer. Well, thanks for chatting with us, Chris. And we'll include links to all that stuff in the the show notes if you want to find out more. Thanks, Kelly. We're triathletes. We like to know how we're performing and how we could be better. We want all the data. And that's where WHOOP comes in. Whoop is a fitness wearable that tracks your heart rate, heart rate variability, sleep, activity levels, calories burned, and most importantly, recovery. Every day, Whoop gives you a recovery score based on how your body is recovered from the day before. So you can know if today's the day to tackle that huge workout or maybe adjust and pull back a little, take an extra nap. Whoop is offering 15% off right now with the code triathlete at checkout. Go to whoop, W-H-O-O-P.com and enter triathlete at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover better, and train better. Get faster right now with WHOOP. Okay, this week we're talking to Sika Henry, who's trying to become the first African-American female pro triathlete. Here's my question for you, Sika. A year, maybe it was like two years, a year and a half ago, I remember talking to you about, like, you had just upped your training, and you were like, Kelly, I'm so tired all the time. Is this (laughs) normal? So you're like, are you still tired all the time? (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, I I had no idea when you tried to get to this level how much training it involved. It's It's crazy. I didn't realize until I got uh, my coach Johnny Karen. Um, I didn't know that people train twice a day every day. I didn't know I thought you would at least get one or two days off a week and he's like, no. no, no, your recovery is that five-mile jog, easy swim. I'm like, this this is crazy. <laughs> so, yeah. But then COVID happened, and this has been, you know, uh, unfortunate circumstances, but it has been nice having the downtime, for sure.
0: So you've been able to, like, train more, like, kind of get your – I don't know what the word is, but, like, your systems in place, right? Like, your, your like, work on all that stuff?
2: Right, yeah. Um. once – Races got, like, canceled and rescheduled. I, my coach and I kind of made an executive decision that I was going to take just two to three weeks off completely, not doing anything. Because I was already dealing with some um, niggles and, you know, pains right. and imbalances and stuff for my crash last year. So we figured, okay, well, if you don't have to race, there's no point in putting your body through all that. Like, let's recover, get healthy, and then slowly ramp things
0: up. Makes sense. I mean, I think that's what a lot of people are doing right now. Like I've been hurt Mm -hmm. and I'm kind of like, eh, no reason to (laughs) rush getting back. (laughs)
2: Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's like when you have these big events on the calendar, you're kind of pushing your body to the limit and you start developing these little nagging injuries and you're praying that you can make it you know, through the race, and you're you're just pushing yourself to the extreme. But if we don't have them on our calendar, what's the point of, you know, doing that to yourself, might as well just get healthy and enjoy the downtime. For sure.
0: So let's talk about this whole like becoming the first female African American pro triathlete. Mm -hmm. One, what is that? I mean, I know what that means. But what that means, essentially, is that you're trying to qualify as a pro and then race Mm -hmm. in pro field, right? Like, you've been pretty close a couple times because there's standards you have to hit, right, to to earn your license.
2: Right. Yeah. um, I thought last year was going to be a great year for me. (laughs) I had gotten so fit and I uh, was doing really well in races. I want to say in 2018, the last half iron I did was Atlantic City and I was maybe like Seventh or eighth or something, female overall in the amateur field, and I finally broke one thirty in the half marathon at the end of the race, and I was like, "All right, this is setting me up for a fantastic 2019." And I uh, flew down to Galveston, Texas, right. and to do the half Ironman there, and you know the story. I got out the water, and it was an age group start, so I was one of the last waves. I got on the bike course; it was crazy crowded. I was going over twenty five miles per hour. And somebody who decided to pass another competitor didn't look to their left. And it was me. And I swerved to avoid them, which I did. But unfortunately, I hit that barricade in the middle of the road, which sent me flying into the pavement, knocked out, broken nose, lacerated face, you know, 40 stitches. I I had to have oral surgery, all that stuff. So my 2019, just it was it was really, really hard. It was difficult um, just having that setback and mentally trying to Recover from it and decide if I wanted to come back and everything. And then, you know, I did um, Augusta. I registered for 70.3 Augusta in September. So I figured, all right, if I can get myself back into shape over a five month period and give it a shot there. So I did. I put in a really hard effort there. And, um, you know, you need to be top three amateur overall. And I was six. So I missed it by a little less than four minutes. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, I okay. wanted to, yeah, I definitely wanted to ask you some more about your crash and coming back for that, but you mentioned yep. it here. Yeah, it was pretty I saw the pictures. It was pretty horrific and you I know you just mm-hmm. told us what happened, but in actuality, you don't remember a lot of that. You've like pieced that together, right?
2: Right. Yep. Yeah. A lot of people thank God for social media because they found me (laughs) through Facebook or whatever and messaged me like I was there. I saw it. And I was like, oh, well, can you tell me what happened? Um, When I woke up in the hospital, I was in the operating room and I thought I had been in a car crash, actually. Hmm. But I had like finished the race and was like on my way back to the. So just how bad I looked how many like injuries and everything I had, I literally thought I had gone through the windshield or something. So um, when they explained to me that, no, you know, it happened on the bike, um, stuff like that. So it's like, I've come to accept that, but I don't really remember the crash itself, which might be a blessing in disguise because I was able to get right back on the bike with no trepidation. Really?
0: Um, (laughs) I was going to ask that. I was going to say, how did you come back to the bike? Were you scared? Because after, Crashes like that. Some people. I mean, I've had friends who have like PTSD out on the road after right. really bad crashes. No,
2: you know, it's crazy. I was actually scared to. I got nervous driving for the first time after my crash. Okay. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Like mentally, I was nervous driving. But getting on the bike, no, I, um, I started to miss it. And as soon as I got Surailo, uh, was really awesome. They had heard my story. Dan Enfield had actually reached out on my behalf and told them my story, and they sent me a Surailo, the P3X. So, oh. um, it was so beautiful. I never had even uh, electronic shifting before. So when I got it, I'm like, I want to take this bike out. Um, And the first time I went out, I rode 60 miles. And yeah, I I wasn't nervous. I think I was just more grateful than anything.
0: Yeah, no, that's crazy. And I know you and I kind of (laughs) uh, jokingly debated about because I was not a fan of rolling starts. I I think there should be Mm -hmm. like a mass start for everybody competing. Mm -hmm. And then after Mm -hmm. this crash, you were like, no, Kelly, these like mass starts are dangerous. It's a (laughs) bad...
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I still so for me the number one. I found the age group wave start the very. I don't know about the most dangerous, but very dangerous for somebody who is competing at a different level. So mm-hmm. when I first got into the sport, like when I did my first half iron, it was an Eagle Man 2016. I want to say um, it was age group rolling or age group wave, and I was in one of the last waves, but. I didn't really know what I was doing anyway. It wasn't that big of a deal for me. I just got on the bike course, kind of moved to the right, and people were passing me. So, you know, I didn't really think about it. But when you get to the level where you're racing for your pro card and, you know, you're hitting top and speed and going out, being in one of the last waves is dangerous. It's scary um, because – there were new. They're newbies, like how I was, who don't necessarily know the, you know, the rules. Ride to the right. Ride on the right. Pass on the left. Um, they're slower. Some people are on mountain bikes who are doing their first half iron. Like, so if you're in one of those last waves, it can be, it can be a little frightening.
0: Oh, for sure. I've definitely been there. I do. Yeah. There's probably something to like everyone competitive needs to mass start in the front, and then it needs to be like a rolling if you just want to finish. Right. You know, yeah. if we were in charge of this sports so. Right,
2: exactly. <laughs> and some races are like that. Yeah. Some have that rolling start where you seed yourself. Right. And I found that the most, um, I felt the most secure doing that.
0: Okay, okay. Let's yeah. go back to, to this your first. I, so you said you did your first one in 2016. How did you even find triathlon? You started as a runner. I mean, I think you swam as a kid, but you were a runner in college. You were a high jumper. That's, yes, not even, yes. that's not even like a triathlon thing.
2: No, I didn't even like to warm up a mile. Like I was not a distance person. Um, my coach sometimes would make me run three miles. I'm like, what? That is so long. No way. One of my roommates, she was on the cross country team. And I just thought it was so crazy that she was out running, you know, 10 miles on Sundays. And yeah, I had no interest in any of that stuff. But um, yeah, after college, I was working in New York City in the financial industry. And I was working really long hours and not working out and getting out of shape so I decided to pick up running then um, and some of my friends were doing 5k's and stuff so I was like oh I'll hop in those and you know it's pretty similar story to others like right. you have a bucket list like a marathon is on your bucket list and i tried one it was a horrible experience <laughs> i was like walking at mile you know like other people walking at mile 20 puking all over the place i'm like i'm never doing this again but like most people also i got hooked and i wanted to see how much faster i could get so that's how i started getting into the long distance running um and then locally out here where i live i live near Hampton Virginia um there was a sprint triathlon at the, uh, in, Chesa- in the Chesapeake Bay, so right at Buckrow Beach. And um, I saw that it was in two weeks. And I was like, hey, you know what? I have a swim background. I have a run background now. Um, why don't I try this triathlon? So I went to Dick's, and I got a mountain bike, <laughs> and I bought a Speedo <laughs> and some goggles. And yeah, I finished. And I was slow. It was like one of the last. But I thought it was pretty cool. It was fun. And again, I wanted to see how much faster I could get.
0: Yeah, no, totally. I think that's how, like, a lot of people start. When did you start to be like, oh, actually, actually, I'm kind of good at this. Like, actually, I could be pretty good at this.
2: It, never. Never? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still wondering. I am still wondering. Um Gosh, when did I, I would say to t- that when I started working with a coach mm. and I think when I did my first half iron, I find that I do better the longer the distance, mm. um, like a sprint and Olympic, I'm just not that competitive. But when I tried the half iron, um, especially my run at the end where I was able to like move up the field, I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. And then of course, I think, um, when I started podium, like getting on the podium in my age group right. overall, that's when I was like, all right, I'm getting closer and closer to this. So let's see how competitive I can get.
0: For sure. Because this goal of, you know, becoming the first African-American female pro triathlete, I mean, it's not like you were like set out with that as a goal. You just wanted to see how good you could mm-hmm. be. And then you realized mm-hmm. there wasn't anyone else, right? Right. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, it was.
2: I wanted to see if I could qualify for my pro card. And then I noticed like, oh, that would actually make me the first mm-hmm. woman um, uh, female african-american pro so that is an extra incentive um (laughs)
0: to to be able to even say that's pretty cool for sure and why i mean why do you think it's important i mean you and i've talked about this before other people talked about it but why do you think it's important for other people to see you know an african-american pro or a hispanic Mm -hmm. pro or you know role models
2: Mhm. Um I think diversity in general um is super important not only in you know sports but at work you know like in corporate offices mm-hmm. and um you know it's it can be really inspiring like you take a you take Serena Williams for instance you know um it's it inspires even people like me when you see what you're capable of um yeah, for a triathlon, because it's so, let's just say, white, <laughs> male dominated, um, you know, there's only 0.5% African Americans in the sport. Um, I think if you see more, more of us in it and more people of, you know, color in general, more women, it will, um, you know, encourage other people to try the sport um it's more inviting i guess mm-hmm. um you know and then for me being an african american just to show kids like you know basketball football you know those sports are great but there are other options out there and just you know in in order to be able to finish a triathlon you need to be able to swim and right. with you know 70 per, 70% of african americans uh, who can't swim it can encourage them to at least learn that life saving skill
0: yeah, no, for sure. The swimming is um, kind of one of the larger historical systemic barriers when you talk about, you know, access to pools historically, kind of mm-hmm. culturally. Um, we talked to Shauna Gold, who you know, a couple yes. weeks ago about kind of the mm-hmm. barriers to, you know, diversity in the sport. Like, what are they? And I'm just right. curious, you know, from your from an athlete perspective, what do you see as why hasn't there been another female Black, female African American? We're not sure if there's a black pro from another country, but (laughs) African-American pro yet. You know, what are the barriers that you see?
2: Yeah. um, And I'm probably regurgitating what she said. It's, you know, I think swimming is a huge Mm -hmm. factor. Um, 70%, as I mentioned before, can't swim. Um, and also just being unaware of the sport. Right. There are so many, um, you know, the mainstream popular sports that we see on TV. Most people aren't aware of triathlon, especially in the black community. Um, and if they do, they've seen it on NBC and they're watching Kona, like right. a full Iron Man. They don't realize that there's draft legal and sprint and stuff like that and that there are other ways to enter the sport. Um, so, yeah, I think that just not being familiar with it, um, it not being a... Popular, celebrated sport in our community, um, we tend to gravitate towards like instead of distance running, sprinters. You know, mm-hmm. you know, like oh, I want to try for the track team, going to run the hundred, the two hundred stuff. So, you know, usually that doesn't translate <laughs> to, uh, you know, a half Ironman eventually. Um, yeah, so I think that. And then, you know, of course, and this isn't just race related, but economically, how expensive right. our sport is. There's no getting around that, no matter what color you are. Um, so that's a huge, you know, barrier as well, being able to afford, you know, the gear. And if you want to be competitive, like, sure, you can go buy a mountain bike and hop in a, a race. But if you want to be competitive, you're going to need, you know, some pretty good, pretty nice equipment.
0: Yeah, the bikes get expensive once you start it. Once you want to be at the front of the race, Yep. They're pretty expensive. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yep.
0: And how have you dealt with all of that? You know, I know you work full time, you train like full time, you know, how mm -hmm. do you deal with all those different stressors, pressures?
2: (sighs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) You know, it is, it's really, it's stressful, but at the same time, I think I've always thrived off of having a lot of juggling different things in my life. Um, I think it also helped that I was a collegiate athlete. So this isn't totally foreign to me. As you know, you were, I think, a college runner. No, man. I didn't do
0: sports in college. That sounded hard.
2: (laughs) Oh, all right. My bad, my bad. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, no. I think it helped, you know, like with structure and – you know, balancing academics and then having races on the weekend and traveling and all that stuff. So this isn't totally foreign to me, but it does, it gets really stressful. And even lately I find, um, being an African-American in the sport and with everything going on right. with, you know, the protests and uh, lack of diversity, spe- specifically in triathlon, I've had a lot of people reach out wanting to do interviews and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm still working. I'm still trying to train. I have a French bulldog puppy. You know, it's, <laughs> you know, it's learning how over the past year or two, it's learning how to say no to some things and prioritizing what is most important.
0: I was going to ask you, it seems like you're constantly called on to be, you know, come sit on this panel, come do this interview. Mm. And I would imagine Mm -hmm. that also feels like a lot of pressure, like you're supposed to represent... Right.
2: everyone, <laughs> like exactly, exactly. I mean, and thank goodness, you know, I do have friends like Shauna who, um, you know, I, I feel like she's more eloquent than me, and she's you know, has a PhD and can talk on so many of these issues. And for me, it's just you know, I have a economics degree, <laughs> so I don't know how well that translates to you know, talking about diversity and inclusion. So I'm really just talking about my own perspective, and right. I want to of say all the right things that I want them to be impactful. But yeah, it is, it's nerve wracking for sure.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I can see that. Now let's, uh, let's actually talk a little bit about your schedule because you do work a full-time finance job and you Mm -hmm. train like what, it's around 15, 20 hours a week. What Mm -hmm. does your schedule look like? Like, how are you, I mean, obviously we have a lot of readers, a lot of listeners who do similar things, but tell us how you do it oh gosh
2: <laughs> i kind of go in like a robot mode i call it um i won't say right now i'm uh- Right now, things are pretty calm, right? Because I'm working full-time from home. Um, they're oh, right. just starting to open the economy up here. So I've been able to work full-time from home, which has been really, really helpful. Um, but typically, you know, pre-COVID, I would get up early, like 5, 5.30. I work with a strength coach twice a week, and then I would work. I'm lucky that at my job, we have showers. So I can run, and I have a great trail over there. I can get my run workout in at lunch. And then I go back to my desk, I eat lunch there. Um, And then after work, like 5.30, I leave and I'll go to the pool or I'll hop on my bike. But the majority of my training is, um, I guess the long stuff is on the weekends. That's really the only time that I can fit it in. Um, I don't live in a bike friendly area. So most of my stuff is done on the trainer, except on the weekends, I'll go drive out to the country to ride long. But um, it's been really helpful. You know, like I I, um, use the hammer, the H3 sarah's trainer so um i'm able to do that here uh gosh yeah try to go to bed early <laughs> eat healthy you know all those little things when it's not the easiest thing to balance um, no but uh, mm-hmm.
0: i mean i just like from my experience trying to race at that level and work full time is really really hard and so uh mm-hmm. especially the evening workouts
2: yep yep Me too. Like morning, you know, if I do something before work and then even on my lunch break, I'm like, okay. but trying to talk yourself into doing a second workout when you're like just tired and you just want to, you know, cook a good meal and have some wine and go to bed, like going to the pool at, you know, 6 p.m. after you've done all that other stuff, it's it's rough. It makes me question
0: how important
2: (laughs) this is. And if I want to keep doing it, totally. Okay. well, what keeps you what do you
0: tell yourself at that point that like keeps you going?
2: Oh, I usually call my dad actually. I'm like, Dad, I'm sitting in the parking lot outside of the pool. I don't want to go in and swim. <laughs> like, I've already done, you know, an eight mile tempo run earlier. And he's like, just get your butt out of the car and go in. And what I do is think about how it's, how good I feel after I've done okay. it. Like, it's always worth it to me. Like, I might not want to do it at the time, but I never regret it after I've done it. Um, In fact, I'm usually in a better mood. I'm more confident. I'm more like, I feel like it brings me one step closer to my goal. So Mm -hmm. I say that with each workout that I don't want to do. I'm like, okay, well, if you do this, it will bring you one step closer. So don't skip it. So it's like just thinking about stringing them all together. Um, versus having all these breaks or skipping workouts. So yeah, it's like the psychological game that I play with myself. <laughs> and then you should eat some candy
0: because that always gets me Yes. Going.
2: Yeah. Oh gosh, no, I, I definitely have some bad habits. I'm like, I'm going to open that really nice bottle of cab that my mom bought like, tonight. If I can get through this swim, I can have that glass of cab.
0: It makes sense. I think that makes sense. I don't see any problem yeah. with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You were telling me kind of before we started recording that, you know, with this, this is a hobby for you. So like, you aren't planning on trying mm-hmm. to make it uh, as a pro into your salary. You're not like, you You just want to see how good you can be, right? Like that's... Exactly. Right.
2: Yep. Yep. Not trying to make a living off of this at all.
0: But you do have sponsors. I mean, there have been a lot, mm-hmm. I mean, which goes back to a whole nother topic, which is kind of like, there are a lot of sponsors for age group athletes. In addition to right. pro athletes, it's all kind of blurred a little bit. Right. But mm-hmm. you have found like a lot of support, right? Right.
2: I have a ton. Um, It's ironic, given the situation that we're in right now with, (laughs) you know, the racial tensions and diversity and, um, you know, inclusion. And um, I would say that the... Big sponsors that I've had actually came from the fact that I've been talking about this for Mm -hmm. a while. Um, It helped. I was at the TBI conference, Triathlon Business International conference in 2017. Sarah Gross was actually the moderator, um, and I was on the panel with the president, uh, founder of Black Triathletes Association, and then um, Flocka. I don't know if you know her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it was there was three of us up there, and then Sarah was moderating. But we were talking about diversity and inclusion, and I gave my. you know, thoughts on why I thought there were so few people of color in the sport. And um, and then, you know, also my journey, why I wanted to be pro, um, that I wanted to be the first African-American woman, stuff like that. So, um, you know, I talked about volunteer work and how important it is, I think, to, you know, get back in the community and, um, you know, show children how important it is to, you know, know how to swim and stuff like that. So um, that's actually how I met my contact at Hoka. Mm -hmm. um, And then also Zoot, they came up to me. And so it was more so not... We're supporting you because we think you might be fast and like (laughs) win an Ironman by any stretch of the imagination. And you know, this is 2017. I was not very fast then. Um, I think I had just finally broken like five hours and a half Ironman. So um, I think that these companies were genuinely interested in helping me get to a level where I could possibly inspire other people or you know, kind of change the color of the sport. So. Um, that's where, yeah, that's where I would say my biggest sponsors came from. So that's it was awesome. before all of this stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So there are, like, there are genuine, yeah. Genuine companies out there that are interested in this.
0: Oh, for sure. I think that's true. I think the, I don't think there's yeah, a lack of, com- you know, people that care. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just complicated. And I know that's also how you ended up doing Kona as your first Ironman last year, right? <gasps> oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> which like used to be more common. It used to be that, you know, you could qualify to Kona, at a half, or like right. get a, or get a foundations, whatever. It used to be more common that people would do Kona as their first ever Iron Man. Now it's right. like kind of not that. It's it's it still happens, mm. but it's, mm-hmm. that would be really tough as your first mm-hmm. Iron Man. do i didn't want to do it (laughs) they offered me
2: hoka you know eric gilson and he reached out he was like we because hoka is the sponsor for iron man um they're partners and he's like we have this extra slot and we know that you're coming back from your horrific crash you're still trying to get your pro card and you know we have this ticket for you if you want it and I was like, no, <laughs> I actually had no interest in doing a full Ironman like really? ever in life. That was never on my list of goals. I play it, Yep. When people would ask me about doing a full, absolutely not. I think you guys are crazy. Um, but yeah, I talked it over with my coach and he's like, are you kidding me? Like that is just a dream right. opportunity. Like you can't pass that up. I talked it over with my dad and he was like, yeah, even he, and he was a bit frightened because of my crash um, right. that I would even put myself through that. And keep in mind, this was the race would have only been six months after my recovery. So, um, yeah, my first reaction was no. But I told Eric, I was like, uh, let me sleep on this. I need like at least a day or two. And uh, yeah. And then I said, yes. I'm like, yep, yeah, this really is a once in a lifetime opportunity. How could I pass that up? But I did feel guilty. Um, I didn't really? qualify. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. um, I didn't qualify for it. You know, Mm -hmm. like I think people some people work so hard at qualifying or, you know, they could get in through the legacy program. They've done multiple Ironmans. And here I am, somebody who hasn't done one yet. Um, I never planned on doing one. And, yeah, I didn't want it to feel like a hand me down slot. And um, I just didn't want people to feel disrespected by me getting it i can't really explain it but i did have some trepidation towards that and some guilt really? in terms of having it handed to me yeah for sure
0: how and how did it end up playing out i mean did anyone how you know how did people respond how did, how was how was it yeah
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. well i was very straightforward um, yeah. When I said that I was racing at Kona, um, I have my blog, and um, I, after I finished Augusta, because I did Kona two weeks after Augusta, I put in my blog um, that you know I'm back, I'm recovered from my crash, and uh, Hoka offered me a slot since they were a, um, since they were a sponsor, and I accepted it. So um, yeah, so I just put it out there. I didn't try to be dishonest or just, <laughs> you know, cause it's going to come out anyway. People are going to ask, well, where did you qualify for it? You know, but you know, Hoka was really just interested in my story and mm-hmm. sharing it. And, you know, I did the Hoka Ironman, those that, Three series uh, that you can find on YouTube. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I saw your yeah, video. That yeah, that they film me. Yeah. Yeah. So they thought that they could, you know, throw that in there too and that maybe it'll inspire other people. So hopefully that's what came out of it. Hopefully that it was took- somebody <laughs> that is inspirational through that, all that suffering and heartache that, oh, God, that was so painful. That really? race was brutal. Oh, my gosh. Yeah yeah
0: that race is I always was, brutal though i don't know anyone who comes out of it being like well oh it my went fine. Yeah.
2: yeah and then it, especially it being my first full Ironman, like i never even went, swam 2.4 miles before I'm like <laughs> this is this is nuts and then the bike you know i didn't realize all the climbing i didn't realize right. i heard it's it was windy and i've experienced wind but nothing like that i i had no idea it was like that um And then, yeah, by the time I got off the bike and I got in the transition tent, I just sat on one of those folding chairs and I'm like, I'm done like, I'm not coming back out. I'm not running a marathon. All you people are crazy. You know, the volunteer came over. Do you want anything? Like, you know, I don't know, just put me out of my misery. (laughs) And and then the hotel I was staying in was right around the corner from the tent. So I'm like, I just want to go there. But I knew my dad was standing outside and, you know, my family was tracking me and I had this really great opportunity and I didn't want to just let it end there because I was, you know, tired and miserable because everybody, is right Everybody's like I'm not it. the only yeah. one yeah so yeah I'm like all right just get out there and at least start walking <laughs> and then you'll get into the swing of it and then of course I went through oh my gosh I went through the first like 10 miles entirely way too fast in my mind I thought I could run like a 310 yeah no <laughs> no no no, no. no. yeah yeah it slowly went down to like i i don't know i think i ran a 330 something but it was brutal
0: yeah you know but now you've done it are you like oh man now i now i want to do more iron man are you like nope that was it (laughs) nope. one and done that was the mecca i did it no more yep no more (laughs) so what are your kind of goals left i mean obviously the (sighs) qualification is like a goal but you know what do you kind of see as your like goal your targets is what I'm trying to say. Like things you want to hit to get to there. Does that make sense?
2: Um, to get to my pro status. Right, just, right, right. Um, well, I was supposed to do challenge Cancun in April. That okay. was like my big first race of the year. And I had planned to try to go after my pro card there. And if I didn't get it, I was going to do Eagle man in June last week. It would have been actually. Um, and then again, that didn't happen. So it's been hard to stay motivated. Um, like today, I did a sixty-mile ride, and then I ran five miles after. And you know, part of me is like, why am I putting myself through all this? We might not even be able to race this year. But at the same time, if the economy opens up and we can race in the fall, I still want to be prepared. Um, so if Eagleman is a go, I'll be doing that in the fall. Oh, it got um,
0: rescheduled. To wait, it did. Did it? Oh, oh sorry, yeah, that was a yeah, question. Yeah, did yeah. it get rescheduled again? Oh,
2: okay, I'm like, wait, did it get rescheduled again? Okay, yeah, it was supposed to be in June. So it was supposed to be last week and it got rescheduled to the same day as Ironman Maryland. Oh. Yep. Yeah, so, but we'll see, you know. And then Challenge Cancun got rescheduled till October, but I don't know if I'll be comfortable flying internationally at that point. So everything is really just up in the air. Right. Um but you know, luckily, there are other aspects of the sport that I really enjoy. In fact, sometimes it brings me more joy than the, like, actual, you know, racing and placing itself. Like, I had awesome opportunities this year of speaking at schools that were um, predominantly African-American, lower-income areas. And, you know, I shared my my journey through the sport, the crash, coming back, dealing with the trauma and stuff like that. And, um, I enjoy, you know, writing articles and, you know, doing certain interviews with, um, with, uh, different, you know, pod, like people who are new to podcasts and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. that aren't as familiar with, uh, you know, why the sport isn't as diverse. So there are other aspects of the sport that I really enjoy besides just, you know, racing Racing and the
0: accolades yeah (laughs) that's good because you know it might be a (laughs) little while right (laughs) or ever (laughs) ever. yeah (laughs) um as you were saying that you made me think talking to kids and kind of like getting them into the sport what has been the response when you've talked to you know kids or Mm -hmm. i know we Mm -hmm. recently talked to a bunch of the ncaa kids coming up Mm -hmm. and they Mm -hmm. a a number of them were like oh sika has inspired right they a couple pointed to you
2: what oh. kind of reaction
0: are you, you know, do you get?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I say kids, these are <laughs> These like were little ele- kids,
0: right? <laughs> yeah.
2: It's like elementary school age, you know, and where I spoke. So these were title one schools. Um, they have been through a lot of trauma themselves. So the whole point is really just sharing Um, you know, how important it is to be involved in like organized sports, um, the importance of learning how to swim. They Mm -hmm. didn't know, a lot of them didn't know that you could even swim at that age. Really? We're too young to swim. I'm like, no, you're not. I start, you know, my parents put me in the pool as a baby. So, um, yeah, it's opening their eyes to just, you know, so many things that are out there that hopefully they can have access to, um. Like people are the company Hoka, they were awesome about giving a lot of free sunglasses and balls right. and bags and stuff like that. So, you know, I would ask, I, I would go through my whole spiel, my story, you know, they would learn that a marathon's 26.2 miles. And then, you know, afterwards I'd ask them questions like how long is a marathon if they got <laughs> it right? You know, they got free stuff. So it's educating them getting them right. you know familiar with the sport and you know understanding the distances and um and stuff like that so yeah just making them more aware of like i said before you know yeah. that it's not just all basketball and you know football and stuff
0: yeah i know you also uh, said you're donating a portion of like the money you make from that kind of stuff to the black mm-hmm. marathoners association right mm-hmm.
2: which is yes which is mm-hmm. awesome yeah yeah you know People have come, you know, these companies have come and asked me, well, what should we do? Who can we give to? And I'm so quick to be like, you need to donate and give money and blah, blah, blah. And then here I am, you know, doing some of these interviews and writing and, and I'm not contributing to the very thing that I'm asking people to contribute. So yeah, I pledged 10% of whatever I make from, you know, any freelance writing or, um, you know, speeches that I give at schools and stuff like that. So I want to give back to and I usually make these things public, not for people to pat me on the back, but it makes me accountable right. for
0: what I've said, I like to feel accountable. Because you also started out with a grant or scholarship from the Black Marathoners Association, right? Like, that's one of the things that helped you early on?
2: Yeah, um, not necessarily that, but the president did reach out to me. Um, Yeah, he did. He tried to convince me to come and do the Dallas Marathon to attend their annual summit. And, you know, I'm living in Virginia. I had never traveled to a race before. I'm like, I'm not flying out to Dallas. I'm not doing that hilly marathon. And it was on my birthday. (laughs) Um, But he was like, you know, we'll cover your entry fee. You'll be, you know, we'll take care of you. You'll be really great. And yeah, it gave me, I ended up coming in fourth in that marathon for the woman and um it gave me a lot of confidence um i felt more uh yeah confident about traveling to races doing bigger right. races um just being at that summit and meeting so many people um med kefluski had actually spoken at that conference i got to meet him um i learned a lot of historical information about um, you know, people in the in uh, people of color in the sport and what they've done for marathoning and distance running. So it's a great, great uh, organization to be a part of. So, um, yeah. So that's why I chose that one where I will donate 10% to their scholarship fund.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. So we talked kind of about you. How you got your start in marathoning, sort of after college in New York. Yeah. And then you worked through triathlon. What has been? Do you think your favorite achievement? Like, I know you've won some marathons. But like what's your favorite best moment?
2: Um probably, well, race wise, probably Augusta in September. Okay. Um And I guess that's surprising to say because I have won sprints and stuff. Then again, after my crash, I did that sprint up in D.C. um, two months after my crash. And I won that. And it was, like, such a relief. Um, I felt like, oh, okay, I'm back. But I wouldn't say that's a great achievement. So, yeah, maybe, maybe Augusta. Like, really pulling myself out of a dark spot. I mean, I definitely went through some depression after my crash, you know, my face, I wasn't sure if I was ever going to look the same again. And um, I just was so fatigued all the time. My body was trying to repair itself. I was working and, you know, it was just, it it just sucked. So um, to be able to still get myself back into shape, to not quit, to, you know, keep going and then to get down to Augusta, have my family there and not only get through the race, but come so close to getting my pro card, like, you know, missing top three by three and a half minutes. And, um, I had the fastest female amateur run split. So, you know, it was like a lot of major milestones for me in that one race. So it gave me a lot of confidence, like, okay, I can bounce back. I can do this. And Yeah. So
0: maybe that one. That's great. Yeah. I was about to ask you, Mm -hmm. what was, what, what would you say was the hardest part too? in your whole like triathlon career but it sounds like coming back from the accident just was the darkest hardest
2: Mm -hmm, yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it was like every time i wanted to get back so bad but you know i'd go out and i'd do a run and you know you think when you're in the hospital after a crash and they tell you all your injuries you're like okay that's what i have to deal with but no it's when you start training again then you're like oh this is off i have these imbalances Um, You know, I had to work with a strength conditioning coach to work on all sorts of things. I had to see a massage therapist because I had done so much damage. I couldn't turn my head right, left, so I had to swim with a snorkel. Oh, man. um, Yeah, yeah. I couldn't swim. I couldn't swim at all at first because I I had open wounds and I developed an infection, so I was on um, antibiotics. And it was just literally one thing after another, and it just felt like it was never going to end. Yeah, I just felt like I was never going to be the same person again. Right. so to come back to a race and be, you know, have a PR, be faster than I ever had and a podium and everything else, it was, it was just like such a, a proud moment for me.
0: Oh, no, for sure. I mean, it's really hard to come back from crashes. Very yeah. hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all mm-hmm. right. Well, usually I would ask people like what their plans are, but it's so hard right now to know any, to have any idea. It sounds like you're just going to kind of wait and see sort mm-hmm. of what plays out. Um. Right but you're still focused on travel this year you're not going to like move on to something else
2: no. Well, I thought about doing a marathon in the fall, <laughs> if I can, because I'm doing more running now than right. I would normally do. So that would be pretty cool. I haven't done a marathon in a while. And fun fact is, uh, my marathon PR, I was trying to get under three hours and I ran three hours and six seconds. So, <laughs> so my goal is to run seven seconds faster. <laughs> That's so a good if I can, yeah, so if I can do a marathon in the fall, that'd be pretty cool. But, uh, yeah right now my
0: my goal is still triathlon right um I feel like you can run a 250 something I feel confident about that oh I don't know God, you need, you need people uh, to believe in you I believe in you yeah
2: thank you <laughs> <laughs> yep until I get to I believe in me too until I get to mile 20
0: <laughs> right and then you're like ooh.
2: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly like what was Kelly saying yeah I don't think so
0: <laughs> um we've been finishing with like would you rathers for for most of our guests okay. so here's my question for you would you rather do another Iron Man and win it, or come in, you know, fourth in a and like just miss your top three in a seventy point three? Because you said you'd never want to do another Iron Man, but what if you could? Win? Uh,
2: if I knew, hands <laughs> like... down. If I knew, hands down. Yeah, I'd put myself through all that to win it. <laughs> sure, just to say, like I'm an Iron Man winner. Yeah, I'd pick that.
0: Okay. So that's that's what it'll take to get you to
2: Exactly, yep, yeah. You know, you can never can say never say never. I always said that I'd never do an Ironman and there I was at Kona in October. So who knows? Who Who knows knows what the future holds?
0: It's probably very accurate right now. Who knows what the Mm -hmm. future holds? Yep. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for talking to us, Sika, and good luck with everything.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks to Sika and Chris for chatting. Thanks to all of you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to have fun.